listening to a teaching from Vineyard Church in Jacksonville, Florida. For more information on teachings and special events, visit us online at www.vcjax.org. That's vcjax.org. Now let's listen in. I want us to look this morning at the Christmas story. I imagine that. I bet you couldn't figure that was going to happen, did you? What you did figure out is I'm going to look at it from a little bit different perspective than what we would normally look at the Christmas story. Most of the time when you think of the Christmas story, what do you think of? Y'all talk back to me a little bit on this. You think of what? The manger. The birth of Christ. Angels. Wise men. We got a lot of wise guys around here. Wise men. Uh, what chapter in Luke's the famous chapter that we read at Christmas time? Luke chapter two. Right, man, y'all are sharp. And uh, anyway, that's that's kind of the, the 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 image, the picture, and and that's a true picture. Okay, there Jesus did come. He was born as a baby. He did come and was laid and wrapped in clothes and lied in a manger. There was angels around about. There was wise men that came. There was a, a, the, all those things are true. But I, what I want us to do is kind of look at a, just a little, I, I don't know, maybe just kind of come at it from a different direction. When you, um, how many of you guys have a nativity scene? How many of you have seen a nativity scene? <laughs> you know what a nativity scene is. What is the... Um, what what is kind of the feel that you would have from most nativity scenes? What's what's kind of the what's the feel the uh, the sense that's going on there? What do you feel? No frills. What? Adoration. How about peace? I mean, is it? It's kind of typically nativity scenes, kind of a peaceful environment. You know, you got little baby Jesus with the halo on his head and. And, you know, the angels are there and, and, you know, all the, all the cattle and the sheep are behaving themselves. Nobody's pooping in the stall, you know, while Jesus is being born. You know, you know it smells good. It, it just looks kind of serene, kind of peaceful, kind of just calm. Was that what you, I mean, that, is that right? Am I right? I mean, that's a typical kind of, you know, silent night, holy nights playing in the background. Although it hasn't really been written yet, but it's there, you know, if you can hear it. And uh, it's just kind of got that feel to it. That's the, that's the normal kind of typical uh, image that we would have when we think of, of Christmas or the birth of Christ. And again, it's not that that's inaccurate, but there's actually, there's more to the story than that. There's more to the story. There's kind of a fuller picture. I, I threw a couple of pictures up. There's one up there. I threw up the picture of the nativity scene. That's that's kind of the norm, you know. There's some just some nice little well-behaved sheep that are there that aren't running around, and little baby Jesus is laying there. That's the that's the normal picture. I'll throw the next one up. What do you see there? Revelation what? Revelation chapter twelve. In other words, this is probably a fuller picture of what was going on at the birth of Christ. It was, it did happen in a manger. It did happen in us. And, and all those things did go on. But in the, in the real world, <laughs> in the spirit realm, this is what was going on. You with me? See, this, 
This may surprise you. I don't think it will. But we we are at a war. <laughs> We're in a war. There's still a war that's going on. And, and becoming becoming a Christian, there's there's more to it than just signing up for the local club. When you become a Christian, there's more to it than just you know just getting a ticket punch so you can get into heaven one day. There's more to it than just kind of the, you know, the nice and quiet and peaceful and, and, you know, bountiful and full of, of everything going great and wonderful. Have, have any of you experienced that even as a Christian that sometimes in your life things don't go exactly like you'd like them to? None of y'all have experienced that. I knew I was talking to the wrong crowd. This group, y'all just flow and, 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 and anyway. <laughs> um, in other words, there's, there's more to it than just than just what we've seen and, and what we what we kind of commonly believe. I want to read an excerpt to you um, from a book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. It says this: Most of you probably have a nativity scene that you take out over the holidays, or a play, and put it on a place on a mantle or on your coffee table. Most of these scenes, I pay kind of think of this. Most of these scenes share a regular cast of characters. Y'all mentioned some of them. There's shepherds there. The wise men are there. There's some barnyard animals, Joseph and Mary, of course, and the baby Jesus. And yeah, and, and most, some of those scenes, there's angels or two kind of around, but that's about as far as the supernatural grows in most, in most nativity scenes. The overall mood of the scene is some kind of warm, you know, pastoral atmosphere. It's quiet. It's an intimate feel. One you get when you kind of sing Silent Night or Away in a Manger. While all of this is true, there's a fuller picture. Now, I want to read to you out of Revelation 12. In fact, as you could turn there if you'd like, I'll have it up on the screen as well. This Revelation 12 shows us what else was going on. What else was happening is at the birth of Christ, as, the, as baby Jesus was being born? In verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, A great sign <clears throat> excuse me, appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept away a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in the front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. Picture that, okay? In reality, in the real realm, what I would call really more the real realm than what we see here, in the spirit realm, this is what was going on as Jesus was being born. There's a, there's, there's a, the enemy is there, there's this dragon that's there, and he's wanting to devour the child as soon as it's born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. In verse 7 it says this, Then war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now, again, when you think of Christmas, is that the picture you see happening? At the birth of Christ, do you see this war going on with these angels that Michael and the angels are fighting Satan and his, and his host, his demons, his angels? There's a war that's going on. But he was not strong enough. The enemy, the dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven, the great dragon 
was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Let's jump to verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time and times and half of a time out of the serpent's reach. Now, we're not going to get into what all that means, but there's some typology and some some pictures that are going on there of what's going to happen, some prophetic words. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. I want to continue to read from you this excerpt. Philip Yancey, he says this, I have never seen this version of the story on a Christmas card. (laughs) Have you? Even Hallmark doesn't have it. Yet, it is the truer story. The rest of the picture of what was going on on that fateful night. Yancey calls the birth of Christ the great invasion a daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. Spiritually speaking, this is no silent night. It's (laughs) D-Day. It's almost beyond our comprehension too, and yet I accept that this notion is the key to understanding Christmas and is, in fact, the touchstone of my faith. As a Christian, I believe that we live in parallel worlds. This is still Yancey speaking. One world consists of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching their flocks by night. The other consists of angels and sinister forces and the whole spiritual realm. The child is born, the woman escapes, and the story continues like this. In verse 17 it says, Then the dragon was enraged by the woman, and listen to this, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Who did he go to wage war against? Usins. Us. You see, when Jesus came... And I like how Yancey puts it. It's, it's more of a picture of D-Day. It's more of an, a picture of an invasion of, of, of Jesus coming. And basically what Jesus is saying is this. As he comes to the planet, as he takes on flesh as a child, and even as a baby, what Jesus is saying is this. is I, I am taking back what you have stolen. Jesus is coming to the planet and saying... In effect, he's basically taking a flag and he's, and he's putting the flag in the ground and he's saying, this is mine. These people are mine. They belong to me. A new king, a new ruler is taking over the planet is what Jesus is saying. In all effect, that's what's going on in the nativity scene that we're watching. Even though what we see is a baby being born, what's going on in the spirit realm is there's warfare happening. Satan is aware. See, Satan is very much aware that this little baby, that Jesus, is, gonna, is going to doom him. 
Why do you think, think for a second, why do you think that, that, that he tried so hard to take Jesus out even as a little baby? You remember that story? Remember, remember how King Herod, wasn't it Herod? Right? King Herod, what did he do? He killed, why? Because the, remember the wise guys, the, the wise men had come and they said, hey, we're going to worship this guy. And he kind of lied to him and said, well, when you find this baby, come and tell me, tell me where he's at. Because in his mind, he knew who the baby was going to be. He'd heard about the stories. He'd heard about the prophets. And in his mind, he was going to take care and kill the baby, baby Jesus. They left, went another way. So he then makes this proclamation and he kills all the male children from, I believe it's age two, from age two down. Wipes them, kills them all. Now, why do you think the enemy was trying to do that? Because he knew who Jesus was. He knew what was happening. He knew what was going to happen if this baby grows up and becomes a man. He knew that this man was going to come and was going to give his life and was going to die and was going to take over the world. He was coming and he was proclaiming the kingdom. That's what we like so much. That's what we, as Vineyard, we talk and you hear us talk so much about the kingdom of God and about the kingdom coming. The kingdom is the reign of God. You with me? When we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're saying is it's the rule and the reign of God. It's not necessarily a territory, but it's his rule and his reign. So when he's reigning and we pray this prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying is, Jesus, we want you to reign right now, right here in this thing, in this point, in this event, and whatever's going on in our life, let your kingdom come here and now, reign. We want you to rule over this. We want your will that's in heaven. When we're dealing with sickness and we say, Lord, let your kingdom come, what we're saying is, God, we want you to step in and rule and reign over this sickness. When we're fighting the enemy, when we're dealing with the demonic, when we're, war, when we're in the middle of warfare and we're praying, let your kingdom come, we're saying, in effect, God, come and rule here. Take authority, reign in my life against this thing that's happening. When we're dealing with poverty and financial issues and we're praying, God, let your kingdom come. What we're saying is, God, we want you to rule in our lives, in this area of our lives. That's what happened at the birth of Jesus. Jesus is coming to take back. He's coming as an, as an evasion. He's coming and there's this warfare that's going on in the spirit realm because the enemy knows what's fixing to happen. That's the Christmas story. That's the story of Christ. Yes, it's a baby. Yes, it's a sweet little baby, and there's this manger in it, and it probably was a whole lot more hectic than the picture picture show. Have you ever been around a baby getting born? (laughs) I mean, even in the nice settings we have, it's still a little hectic. Imagine in a manger, you know, in a barn with a bunch of animals, what was going on. You see, Satan knew that Jesus was going, his plan was to come and destroy the works of the devil. Jesus at the onslaught, at the very beginning of his, of his ministry, Jesus makes these proclamations. In fact, as in Matthew 4, it says this, that Jesus began his ministry by preaching the kingdom of God is here. Where's the kingdom? Here. Where's the kingdom now? Here. <laughs> you with me? Yes, there's a kingdom in heaven, absolutely. But the kingdom of God is here and now. 
That's what we walk in. That's what we believe. That's what we speak. What we proclaim is the kingdom. In fact, it's in Matthew 12. I'm going to skip a couple of verses. He says this. Jesus says this. If I drive out demons by the power of the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You getting that picture? When Jesus, how many times over and over and over in the Gospels, Jesus spoke to these demons and told them to leave. And what did they do? They left. (laughs) And Jesus is saying in this verse, when I've done that, when I speak to this demon and I tell it, get out of here, be gone, leave, you deaf spirit, go in Jesus' name. Go, you leave this place. But Jesus said, when I've done that, the kingdom of God has come. And we get to do that. Because the king lives where? In us. In us. Let me read this passage to you out of the Amplified Bible. Matthew 16. I'm jumping ahead, guys, in case you are having trouble keeping up with me. And the Amplified, it says this. Jesus is talking to Peter. I tell you, you are Peter. You found it? You with me? In parentheses, the word is the Greek word for petros. It means a large piece of rock. So, Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm telling you, you're Peter. And on this rock, the Greek word for Petra is a huge rock, like Gibraltar. On this rock, I will build my church. Now, the rock he's talking about is the profession that Peter had made about who Jesus was. You with me? He's not building it on Peter. He's building it on the profession that Peter made, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, on this rock, on this, I'm building this. I will build my church. Who will build his church? Let's try that again. Who will build his church? He will. (laughs) Think about that. He says, I will. Will. (laughs) You with me? I will build my church. And look what he says. And the gates of Hades, the powers of the infernal region, shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Does that sound like warfare language to you? Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, on this, on what you said, I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that, on that foundation, on that cornerstone, I'm going to build my church and all hell can't prevail against it. That's fighting language. (laughs) That's warfare language. Jesus said, this is a war we're in. Guess what? The gates of hell want to come against it. Any of you ever experienced any demons trying to come against you? Absolutely. Jesus says, but they're not going to win. <laughs> they won't win. Then he goes on and says this, I will give you. Who's he going to give? I'll give you, talking to Peter, but the disciples, to us. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He gives us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You and me have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Here's what they are. And whatever you bind, Amplified says this, to declare to be improper or unlawful. That's what binding is. So when you and I are binding something, we're declaring it to be unlawful. 
You there? So if the enemy's coming against us, he's attacking us, or he's doing something that's wrong, we can bind that and declare it as unlawful. It's not right. You can't do that. We can bind that, is what, is what Jesus is saying. And whatever, look what it says, whatever you bind on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. Is the enemy bound in heaven? Is sickness bound in heaven? Is poverty bound in heaven? Absolutely. And we can bind those things here by proclaiming them and declaring them and speaking them because it's already been done in heaven. We can declare and bind disease and sickness off of our bodies and declare what the truth of God's word says. That's what we, that's what Kathy and I are doing daily. And that's what I know you guys are doing for us daily or praying. And we're binding those things off of her. We're telling and speaking to cancer cells and telling them to die up and dry and go. We're binding them. Why? Because there's no cancer cells in heaven. Is that right? There's no, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no disease. So we can proclaim and declare and bind that here. And we can say, Jesus, let your will that's in heaven be done here on earth. Let it happen. It's already bound there. And then what it says, whatever you lose, declare as lawful on earth, must be what has already been loosed in heaven. Then he sternly and strictly charged and warned the disciples to tell no one that he was Jesus Christ. I want to read another verse to you, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This is one of the key verses in the Bible, one of the key verses. You ought to have this one underlined, circled, highlighted, memorized, and speak it regularly. <laughs> it says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Who did God anoint? Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. Why does that verse say that? Because Jesus, when he was here in flesh on the planet, he wasn't acting as God. He was acting as a man full of the Spirit of God. You with me? See, we couldn't, if, Je- if everything Jesus did, he did because he was God, then you and I wouldn't be able to do it. Because we're not God. But Jesus as a man, fully man and fully God at the same time, but as a man, when he healed people, he was operating as a man full of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says here. God anointed him, Jesus, with what? The Holy Spirit and power. Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit and power? Let's try it again. Does Jesus need the Holy Spirit and power? Yes. Do we? Yes. And he went, look what it says. And he went about doing good and healing some. <laughs> healing who? I, I misbreed things every now and then. Healing all. Who is the all he healed? All who, look what it says. Under the power of the devil because God was with him. What is, what's this scripture saying? People that were sick, people that were in, in disease that needed healing, many of them or they were under the power of the devil. Sickness comes from, all right, let's try that one more time. Sickness comes from the devil. <laughs> you with me? 
Sickness comes from the enemy. Sickness doesn't come from God. Sickness comes from the devil. Jesus would not have been anointed with the Holy Spirit power and healed all these people if God the Father is the one that had put the sickness on them. Would he? No, he goes and heals them because they were under the power of the devil because God was with Jesus. He was able to heal them. Now, I'm going to go real quick here. We're going to close up. I, in my mind, there's three different extremes we go to when we're dealing with Satan. The first one, ignore him. That's one extreme that as Christians, if we're not careful, that's the extreme we go to. We just try to ignore it, act like he's not around. That's no big deal. We don't need to pay any attention to him. Let's just kind of push him out back there somewhere. You know, he lives in Africa. <laughs> right? And now where all the demons are at, they're over there. For some reason, Africa got them all. I'm not sure why. But we, and so we just try to ignore it. We go through life just not even paying attention to the fact that there's an enemy that we, you and I encounter, a real enemy that's, that's involved and attacks us and comes against us. The answer to dealing with him isn't to ignore him. But that's one of the extremes we make. We ignore him or we pretend he doesn't even exist. Or we try to minimize who he is. In other words, we, we have him pictured. Throw that little picture up there for me. There's our picture of the devil. Isn't he cute? We, you know, we come up with these little, these little sayings, you know, I, you know it's, it, the devil made me do it. <laughs> Just these little flip sayings that we, that we come up with. Who remembers who said that first? Not who said it first, but who's the one that popularized that? Who? Flip Wilson. Wilson. Any of y'all remember Flip Wilson? You're going to show your age if you remember him. (laughs) (laughs) The devil made me do it. So we, 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 we ignore him or we just kind of pretend like he's there or we make light of it. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul makes this statement. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, can the enemy take advantage of us? Can he? Absolutely he can. Lest he takes advantage of us, if we, and the way he does that is we let him. Paul is saying this, we don't let him for we are not ignorant of his devices. Some translations say schemes. In other words, Paul's saying this, we're not ignorant that we have an enemy that has schemes that are coming against us. We pay attention to them. We're not ignorant of them. We don't just hope and, and just stick our head in the sand and hope it doesn't happen and hope he goes away, hope he goes bother somebody else. No, we're aware that we have an enemy. So one extreme is to pretend like it doesn't happen and just ignore it. The other extreme is on the other end of the, of, of the pendulum, is to give him too much attention. In other words, we believe there's a demon behind every bush. Everything that happens to us is a demon. We're running late. Well, a demon must have caused that to happen. We can't find a parking spot. Well, a demon's attacking me. You know, we, you know, whatever. Some of it isn't a demon. Some of it is a demon. You with me? So, so, sometimes it's just our own flesh. <laughs> sometimes it's just our own stupidity. Some of it, sometimes the stuff we get into is from our own sin. The devil didn't do it. We did it. <laughs> so that's the other extreme. But sometimes it is the devil. Sometimes we, ha- we cause. Why? We're not ignorant of his schemes. We have an enemy that's scheming against us. Peter says this. In, in chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, 
Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil. The devil is who? Our adversary. The devil is our adversary. He doesn't like us. (laughs) He's our enemy. The devil, he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We don't ignore him, and we don't give more give him more credit than what he actually has. We don't we don't make everything out to be him. The other one, and I think this is probably one of the more common things that happens with Christians, is that we we send we tend to see him as equal to God, and that they're duking it out, with the outcome still to be determined. Sometimes if we're not careful, that's the mindset we can have. we got an enemy over here that's big and powerful, and he's duking it out with Jesus over here, and they're fighting it out, and they're battling, and we think Jesus is probably going to win, but it kind of in our mind or in our spirit, we think somehow or another we've lifted him up and raised the enemy up to this level where he's the same strength as, as God is. We've put him on that platform. And so we think they're fighting it out. We... Show the picture, please. (laughs) Can you see that? That's our picture. That's our vision. Jesus and the devil are arm wrestling over us, over the planet. One of them is going to win. And we believe as Christians because the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to win. But sometimes if we're not careful, just in our attitude, the way we look at things, the way we face things, we think we give him this, 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 we raise him up and say he's that powerful and that strong that he can come against us and do these things. He's no, he's not even on the same playing field as Jesus. He's not. I mean, he's not even, he's not even, I mean, if this is the devil, God is somewhere in affinity. <laughs> That's how much bigger God has than the devil. They're not, they're not duking it out. They're not fighting one another. They're not, they're not arm wrestling. In 1 John it says this, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you, who's in us? Jesus. He that is in you is greater. Everybody say greater. Greater, he that's in me, he that's in you, Jesus is greater than he that is in the world. He that's in the world is who? The devil. Greater. He that's in me is greater. I don't have to walk in fear. I don't have to cower down to him. I don't have to worry about what he's doing. I don't have to second guess what he's doing. Why? Because Jesus lives in me and he that lives in me is greater than he that's in the world. I can walk in a strength because of that. I can walk in victory because of that. I've already read this verse, but Jesus of John again says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Did he do it? (laughs) Absolutely. Jesus said it's finished. He finished his task. He destroyed the works of the enemy. James says this, Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil and he will... Flee from you. He ha- if I'm submitted to God and I'm resisting him, he has no choice but to flee, according to what this scripture says. He'll flee from me. Remember what Jesus said in John 10. It says this, the thief who is the enemy, who is the devil, he comes to what? Still kill and destroy. 
I, Jesus saying, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. If something is going on in your life that's being robbed from you, being stolen from you, or something that's being trying to be is that's killing you, it's not Jesus. It's the enemy. And Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. We can walk in life, guys. We have life. Christmas time was Jesus coming and being born as a child so he could come. His purpose for coming was to come. Jesus says, I come to give you life. So when we think of Christmas, Christmas shouldn't, and we get, we just, if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the, in all the peripheral stuff and all the mess that goes on around Christmas. If we're not careful, we can just get consumed with that kind of stuff. And Jesus is saying, look guys, this, Christmas is about me. <laughs> Christmas is about me coming to give you life. That's what I came to do. I came as a baby. I came born of a woman, and there was warfare that was going on in heaven because of that, and we won. <laughs> Jesus says, I defeated him. I destroyed his works. I have the victory, and because I am in you, you have the victory. We're at war. We, we have an enemy, guys. We have a real enemy. It's not the person sitting next to you. Sometimes you may think it is. <laughs> I'm serious. It's, it's not your boss. It's not, it's not the neighbor that you don't like. It's, they're not our enemy. People aren't our enemy. Sinners aren't our enemy. People that sin, people that live lifestyles that we don't like, people that live flagrant lifestyles that are just, that are sinners, they aren't our enemy. The government is not our enemy. Sometimes it may feel like it. April 15th, a lot of times I feel like the government is my enemy when he's taking all my money. But the government is not our enemy. Our enemy is the enemy. Is that deep or what? You ought to write a bumper sticker, put that on your car. The enemy is the enemy. <laughs> the enemy is Satan, and he's been defeated. That's what, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the birth of of Jesus, but the birth of Jesus, the reason he came to be born was so we could celebrate Easter. <laughs> Is that right? I mean, Jesus was born, and we'd celebrate it on December 25th. I, whether he was born on December 25th, I probably not. But we, we, choose, we celebrate this time of the year to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But Jesus was born so he could die. For us. And he died for us. Don't stop there. <laughs> That's where many of us stop. We got forgiven from our sins, which is awesome. He died for us on Friday so he could be resurrected on Sunday. Resurrection is life. He died so we could have life. That's what we're celebrating. That's what Christmas is about. It's a time to celebrate. 
to celebrate the life of Christ, to celebrate the life that he gives us, to celebrate who we are in Jesus. We, I, shared, I told you guys, uh, we ought to, as Christians, we ought to be known as party animals. We ought to be people that just are celebrating, that are joyous, that are happy, that are, are rejoicing in who we are. What we have, what we've received from Jesus, we have life, abundant life. Now, sometimes it just doesn't feel that way, right? Sometimes you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> Don't be looking at anybody. <laughs> you got up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm telling you, God loves us so much he does I'm, I'm just I'm just overwhelmed the last few years I've just been God just keeps taking me back to that just keeps taking me back over and over and showing me how much he loves us he loves us he, he loves us let's try it again he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He loves our neighbors. He loves the people we don't particularly like. He loves them. He wants us to love them. I'm telling you, if I, when we sing that, every time we sing that song we sing about the reckless love of God, I just always just kind of get this picture of we, what we understand of the love of God is like a cup full compared to the ocean. That's, I always just, that's where I always go with that song. It's like, and, and we started with a thimble. I think I'm up to a big gulp now. But you know, we still got the ocean. That's what, it's, that's what it, the big gulp isn't real big compared to the ocean. That's how much God loves us. And we, we get to walk in that. We get to, we get to be, get that revealed in our hearts. We get to have that put in us and we get to, we, we get to enjoy that. That's how much God cares for us and loves us. That's something we ought to want to share with other people. Amen. You've been listening to a teaching from Vineyard Church in Jacksonville, Florida. For more information on teachings and special events, please visit us online at www.vcjax.org. That's vcjax.org.